give you a, a few stories. Well, first of all, the topography here is a lot different than Florida. Did you know Florida is kind of flat? It really is. Like our house, well, like our church in Naples, it was four feet above sea level, which means if a hurricane comes, it's time to evacuate because there's a sea surge, you're in trouble. Over here, um, you can go up four feet just walking ten feet. And so what we discovered is not only is it hilly here, but it's also cold and snowy. We noticed right away. Uh, I went to visit the, the Linda's uh, small group, the Vensels group there, and I was with Christopher, and Siri said, turn left, and we missed it. And so as we went, and we said, I'll turn left here. And we drove our little minivan up the hill with our three-season tires because, you know, you don't need snow tires if you're from Florida, right? So we go up the hill, and the car just stops. Now, our brother over here who drives the plow said, that's okay as long as there's nobody behind you. So I quickly looked in the mirror and I said, there's nobody behind me. And as we started to drive backwards like this, I kind of did a little turn like this, did a little turn like that. And I said, oh, forget it. And I tied it sharp, put it in reverse, floored it and went, woo, right down the hill. So that was one of my first experiences transitioning here. It's good to be up here. It really is. Why are you laughing? Because I'm staying in a snowbird's house that's in Naples, the Stitz. Let me tell you a little bit of my journey because I think the most important thing for us to get today is the song we just sang about how much we're loved is absolutely life changing and transformative. If we even get that sort of, ladies and gentlemen, it's revolutionary. I want to tell you that I went to college, a very secular college. I majored in management, and that wasn't enough. And so I decided, well, let me see if I can pick a language up, because I figured if nothing else, I'd, I'd get a language out of college. I was cynical. And so I majored in German as well. And then I graduated, and I was empty, absolutely empty. And so I, I saved up and saved up. If you're living at home, you can do that pretty easily, you know. So I worked several different jobs, and I literally took a round-the-world trip. And I was uh, in Australia, and I, you know, I looked for fun, for pleasure, including adrenaline junkie things like bungee jumping and all sorts of other stuff like that. And just nothing kind of did it for me until I met this this scruffy guy on the airplane, a British guy who is going from Brisbane to Sydney to Perth. Think like New York to San Diego. Uh, and I saw this guy and I said, man, what is different about this guy? And I said, what are you doing? Are you traveling around looking for meaning in life? And he goes, no, I'm going to Perth to become a missionary. I went, Oh, give me a break. I mean, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Missionaries, you can't, that, those are the real deal. So I said, well, can I call you a Jesus freak? And he goes, uh, yeah, you can call me. I don't know about the freak part, but you can call me that. And so as I hung out with this guy and saw that he was unflappable, I, I couldn't get him to get angry. A little bit of an agitator sometimes. And then as I saw his base, the mission base there, and as I hung out with those people, I said, man, they are so different really different. I mean, they teased each other, but they really did life together in community. 
And they had a relationship with the Father that I didn't have. Or at least I had a dormant one. Because when I was a kid, I had come to faith in vacation Bible school. But I drifted far, far away when I was in college. And I said, man, I've, I've, looked, I've looked everywhere for these things. And these people just seem to have it. And they have relatively little. But I said, I don't know what you guys have. But I want what you have. And so I, I said to the, to the guy I met in the airplane, I said to Richard, he goes, well what, he goes, well, what do you think? And I think he was meant, what do you mean about the dinner? And I sat there and I said, I'm ready to make a commitment. And he went, oh. he was really scared. He didn't know how, what to do. I'm like, well, this guy's a missionary. And he said, uh, can I get one of the more senior missionaries? I'm like, no, it has to be you. Management degree. I wanted him to you know, have leadership training on me. And he said, please let me get somebody else. I said, sure. And my prayer went something like this. I said, Lord, if you will take me back, this guy who has drifted, looking for love in all the wrong places, if you'll take me back, I'm yours. If you'll give me a life like these people have in this community, and that's a very important thing because it's what we're talking about today, in this family of God, if you'll give me a life like these people, blank check, God. Now, for those of you who have been in the faith for a while, how does God respond to a, check, a prayer like that? Okay? I'll do that. See what you got, Jim. Well, I have been ruined for the ordinary. And I want to tell you, if you know God as your Father, and you know Him and His love, you will be ruined for the ordinary. And if you encounter community like I encountered when I was in Perth, Australia, in Youth of the Mission, you will be ruined for the ordinary. You'll say, I, I don't know how anybody could live out of community once you've tasted and, and seen how wonderful that was. I like to describe my journey around the world. Uh, and, and by the way, before I say this, I want to tell you that I, I describe myself as an orphan. I grew up in a good family. I had a car to drive. Went to a decent school. I had, I had so much going for me, but I was still empty. I wonder if you can relate to that. Well, the Apostle Paul talks about that. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Because what we're looking at here is we're looking at what it means to be adopted by God. Or, to put it in the negative, what it means to be not an orphan. The first thing is, not being an orphan means that we move from slaves to chasing things and looking for meaning in life, to sons and daughters. Romans chapter, 14 verses, uh, or Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17 says, and I wonder, are you, are you able to participate here? Like if, we, if I go like this, you'll actually read with me and stuff? There we go. We're good. All right. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children or sons of God. Okay, children of God, yep. The Spirit you received does not make you so that you no longer live in 
Anybody relating? How many of you have had fear? Well, not like your chickens. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like being filled with worry about stupid stuff that never happens. Anybody relating? That's an orphan spirit. Let's carry on. Rather, you re- uh, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Paul is talking about is the Spirit of freedom. And the Spirit of freedom is the one that says, you don't have to keep on chasing stuff that doesn't matter anymore. It's okay to have stuff for clarity as long as the stuff doesn't have you. Or as long as you're not so desiring that stuff that you're empty inside. The one who brought about a relationship that adopted you as a son or a daughter. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter who your family is, the family you came from? Does that have any effect in your, you know, how you turned out in life? What do you think? It does. It absolutely does. Next service, Denny's going to, Pastor Denny's going to be dedicating a, a baby, right? And we're saying, hey, raise this child up. It matters how you parent. And you can see people that come from solid families. Do they always turn out great? No, not necessarily. Do they have an advantage? Yes. So if you've come from a broken family, and if you read the statistics, something like half of us, That means that maybe you've grown up with a disadvantage. Maybe your father wasn't present. This message is for you. You know why? Because if you have God as your heavenly father, it's absolutely transforming. That's why we look at this and you see this this expression here that's found in no other faith. The master, my master's, I went to Alliance Theological Seminary and got a Master of Divinity. And in cross-cultural ministries, I was planning to be a missionary to Muslims. That was what Jennifer and I wanted to do. And, uh, and so we're using all of our cross-cultural skills stateside because our culture has changed. Uh, so you need cross-cultural skills. It's the only, only faith out there that is able to call God Father. I mean, that sounds really irreverent. And then if you look at this saying here, Abba, Father, are you kidding me? You can call God Almighty Daddy? Yep, you can. You can. And that's what, that's what Paul says. And this is not just an anomaly. It's not just one of those things that's like, yeah, you know, that's in Romans, but it's nowhere else. No, it's all throughout the New Testament. Five times. Paul talks about being adopted as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs with Jesus? Let's read on. Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. That you may know that you know that you know that you're His. Are you relating? You know, somebody says, how do you know if you're saved? Well, there's different things. Well, you know, if your life has changed and you stop uh, doing certain things and you have more of an interest in spiritual things and you start loving people more. But there's also this thing that, that Paul is talking about here that says that you know that you know that you know 
that you belong to him, that you're in the family. I don't think I could tell you why I was drawn to this fuzzy, scruffy British guy in the airplane going from Brisbane to Perth. But what I can tell you now is that the Spirit of God was drawing me to himself. And maybe some of you are here today, and maybe one of your friends said, hey, come to, come to church with me today. The, the guy moved from Florida to Pennsylvania in the wintertime. you got to hear this guy. It's a little funny. Humor me. Come on. <laughs> maybe some of you are saying, I don't know why I'm here. I'm telling you that God brought you here. You used to joke when we were in Florida, I know some of you are here against your will because I can see heel marks all the way from the parking lot to here. Dragged in. There's something about the Spirit's drawing it to Himself, saying, no longer being an orphan. No more fear. Come and be a son or daughter. I'm inviting you to come today. Verse 17 says, Now... If we are the children, then we are heirs. What is an heir? An heir means you got an inheritance. It means you are in the family. Now the next verse here says heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And some of these verses, you know, you wish you could omit from the Bible, maybe. Uh, I'm not suggesting I'm doing that. I'm not a heretic, don't worry. It says, if indeed we share in his What? Oh, his sufferings. If we share in his sufferings in order that we, share, that we may share in his glory. We're, we're going to touch on that in, in just a minute in the next point. We're talking about, first of all, not being an orphan and not being separated from the Father. Next, we're going to talk about the family and being in the family. Sometimes being in the family means suffering. We'll get on that in a minute. But all through the New Testament... All through the Bible is this invitation. Come and join the family. Come and be adopted by the Father. Stop striving. Stop fearing. Stop looking after stuff that doesn't matter. Because all of us do that, don't we? The truth is, the enemy of your soul opposes this thing. Maybe you're still sitting here going, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, Jim. Well, let me, let me paint a, a picture. Maybe some of you ladies. Do you ever have this? I'm not skinny enough. Uh, if I'm skinnier, then I'll be better. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm too short. I don't earn enough money. I'm not well-respected enough. I'm not a good enough shot. Well, we're still working on that one. But the not-enoughs are the things that cause us to strive to be better and to hide behind things like if I'm a little bit more successful, if I have a few more toys, then I'll measure up. What's the old saying? He who dies with, with the most toys, what? Wins. Actually, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Right? But if you have the Father, dear friends, you have everything. If you have the Father, you're no longer an orphan. You, you move from being an orphan to being a son or a daughter. It, it's knowing that we are loved, 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 which changes everything. It means no more fear. It means full acceptance. 
Can you turn to your neighbor and say, if you know Christ, you're accepted. Ah, it's really funny to come to a new church and see a different cultural thing. So turn to the person next to you and say, if you know Christ, you're accepted. You know, for a springtime change, you guys are doing amazing. It means full acceptance. It means authority in prayer. You know the demons shudder in the fact that you're a son or a daughter of Christ. When you pray, I love what Pastor Danny said last week, I think it was, that the Lord stoops over to hear our prayers in Isaiah. That's the privilege we have as sons and daughters of Christ. I mean, that's enough to almost stand up and start jumping. But we prayed in the green room that I'd be calmer, so I'm being more mellow. All right? Best of all, it means knowing God our Father as Daddy God. And so when we pray, just like as my little kids came in, my youngest one is 12 now, I'm not really sure how that happened, but when my younger kids would come in, they'd say, Daddy! That's the kind of relationship that is available for us and is supposed to be the norm of knowing God. Not, I have to go to church. Oh, I guess I better read my Bible. Somebody might ask me, you know, you read your scripture? I get to open that book. And by the way, all of us, it's a discipline. It's opposed by the enemy. It's a struggle. But when I open that book, or in my case, when I open my phone, <laughs> something is going to happen that my daddy father is going to do something to my, whole, my soul and is going to change my world. That's the privilege we have. But too many of us, myself included, have lived as less than, lived as orphans, lived in fear. And God the Father says, no, come and be adopted as sons and daughters. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called, what? The children of God. It doesn't matter if you're the brightest crayon in the box or the darkest crayon in the box. If you're God, if your Father is God, you're something extraordinary. You know what happens when we have an encounter with Christ like that? There's a world, there's a word. It's called revival. That's what happens. And sometimes it's an extraordinary movement of the Spirit that just, that just shows up. God shows up in His manifest presence in a, in a community and wham, all sorts of things happen. But it starts when you and I just say, I want that. I want that relationship with God the Father. The Welsh revival in 1904 is an example of this. You know what happened? All the crime ceased. These tough coal miner types would be in the front of the churches and, and the very pompous British people would say, and today we're going to look at that. And they'd say, just give us God, man. And they would, they would turn from their, all of their vices. The police didn't have anything to do. They'd walk around and sing. Wouldn't that be fun? We could see Pastor Danny with his state troopers wandering around singing. Wouldn't that be cool? We could still go shooting. You just don't have to bear them when you pull over. That's God's intent for us. 
is to know him and to say, it doesn't matter what happens to me this day. I'm not an orphan. I'm a son. And I'm blessed and and highly favored. And God loves me so much that in the process of me changing and learning stuff and putting away stupid stuff, no matter how it goes, I'm still loved by by God the Father. And that changes everything. Well, that's the first thing. The first thing is not being an orphan or not being separated. Being adopted means not being separated from God our Father. The second thing means that we are adopted into the family. We're in the family of God. Not being an orphan means you're part of the family. There's a saying by one author, he says, a Christian without community is, and if you want to write this in, is an orphan. A Christian without community is an orphan. Hebrews chapter thirteen one says, "Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters." See now, there's sort of like this romance of you know, and, and appropriately so that oh man, I have this wonderful relationship with God the Father, and I can just stand there and worship, and hopefully nobody will bug me who's in the body. There are great, great benefits that are in the body. But here's where it gets a little tricky, but it's so important. Because it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus and the other brothers and sisters in Christ. And the benefits of community are huge. So what does uh, the community of God look like? You know, there's, uh, there's like 59 one another commands in the Bible. I'm not going to read all 59 of those. Aren't you relieved? Some of them are repeated again and again and again. Carl George lists these. God's family are commanded to love one another. You know how many times it says love one another? How many times do you think? Come on. Ten. That was a good guess. Fourteen. Fourteen times. Love one another. Four times. Encourage one another. Live in harmony. Carry each other's burdens. Have you ever been really in a funk and somebody just gets next to you and she says, how are you doing? Let me, let me walk with your little ways. Have you ever had that happen? That's carrying each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Offer hospitality. I love this one. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Oh, the Smiths are coming over again. (sighs) Really? No. Hey, come on in. Well, since we're becoming family, you help cook, (laughs) right? (laughs) Offer hospitality without grumbling. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, the question is, how are you guys, how's your family transitioning from Florida to Pennsylvania? You know, the answer to that is it doesn't have so much to do with the weather. I mean, you know what I did in college? I was a ski instructor. I went to school upstate New York. So the weather, we're kind of used to that, even though two of my kids have never had winter coats before because we've lived in Florida for 12 years. That's not the hard thing. The hard thing for us in transitioning here is leaving our family behind. Um, it's, it's not about the cold weather. I mean, for, for sure, Community Alliance folk are awesome. Love you guys. I mean, people have lent me their car. 
uh, you know, our stuff arrives like next week, God willing. You know, it's, uh, so we're still living out of boxes and stuff. People lent us their car. They've put us up. They've fed us. They've been so kind to us. But the big transition is it's difficult because we left people in Florida that the roots go very, very deep. And that just takes time to develop. People like Kelly Dunson that when they saw on Facebook, oh, they're cold up there, ordered an electric blanket, just the one that goes on the couch. And, you know, boy, they, they were, that was, a high, that was a, literally a hot item in our, in our, in our family, family. They're all sitting there snuggling under the blanket. Oh, Kelly, sh- she gave us a blanket. It's like, like a, an electric hug from Florida. <laughs> you see, the thing is about the people in Florida there, are, are they any different than the family up here? No, it's the same family, friends. It's the same family. But we've been through stuff with them. And once you've been through stuff, the good, the bad, the ugly, and I'm talking about having to, uh, having to forgive each other, having to work through things. Anybody enjoy forgiveness and, well, probably receiving it? How about asking forgiveness? Anybody enjoy asking for forgiveness? How about uh, having to extend forgiveness to others? It's not an option. Now, you've seen our family. It's pretty perfect. I, I just want to let you sh- show you a video of how we've been adjusting. So show how, you see how perfect our, our family is here in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Isn't Christopher a great shot, Denny? How could, you know, you look at a perfect family sledding down the hill, having a happy time, and one of them throws a snowball at my daughter's head. Bam! Is, is your, does your family have some perfection there? Friends, that, they, do, they really do love each other. And in fairness to, to my oldest, if you figured that out, uh, right after that, Catherine got on the sled and, and knocked Christopher over coming up the hill. So, so they're brothers and sisters. But I put that video up there not just for fun. That's a picture of the body of Christ. <laughs> the body of Christ, you know, we, we don't have that much in common. We have Christ in common. Which means that when we're gathering together like we're supposed to gather together, it means there's going to be friction. It means there's going to be snowball fights. It means there's going to be fights. You know, my, my oldest sibling, the next sibling up for me, is nine years older than me. Jennifer's family's like my family. They're all close together like that. I'm like, oh my goodness, they can't get along no matter what we say. Unless they have to get along. Unless there's some sort of stress and they say, like, like you have to get something done or there's some emergency, then all of a sudden they all pull together. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what it's supposed to be. Everyone who's been married for any length of time knows that it's not all rosy, but it's so worth it. Please write this down. This didn't make it in. I inadvertently deleted this from the outline. It says here, true community, being the family, means three things. It means risk, discomfort, and hurt. Now, up to this point, we probably could have served cotton candy in the lobby. It's, oh, what a nice, everything is beautiful, right? We could have done that. Here's where the rubber meets the road. 
really being the family of God is a risk. It means you must forgive one another. Look at the C.S. Lewis quote. I love C.S. Lewis. Can we put this up there? All right, let's look at this together. To love it all is to be? Love anything and your heart will be what? And possibly broken. If you, do, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in the casket or coffin of yours. What? But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. That's hard stuff. But friends, it's worth it. Comfort is the enemy of community. Know that it's, was it was it difficult for us to leave Florida? Absolutely, because we've been through so much stuff together. What kind of stuff have we been through together? All kinds of things. Disagreements in the church that we've had to, to do peacemaking with. But we've gotten through the other side of it. And all the fakeness went out the door. Some of them literally did go out the door. <laughs> but the ones that stayed... We did life together. We laughed together. We cried together. And it was terrible to leave. And I, know, I have no regrets. Please don't misunderstand. This is how it should be. If, you know, if, if I'm coming, <laughs> so glad I got out of that situation, <laughs> I would be scared if that's the pastor you brought on. If you see someone who's grieving because they left a situation, it means God willing that They understand what community is. And that's what's going to happen here. We've we've lived in Colorado, Illinois, Florida, and now here again. I started in Pennsylvania 20 years ago in Irwin. You know? That's what it's supposed to be. The speaker at Man Camp said something awesome. He said, true community is when you're so close to someone, when they walk in the room, you can tell there's something wrong. Or they're doing well. You know, all in favor of accountability and all other stuff. But when you look at someone and says, hey, Homer, what's, what's going on, man? You all right? And they say, sure, I'm fine. No, you're not. And you sit down and you say, what's, what's really going on? That's true community. That's what God intended. And that's what the world is sorely looking for. Because it's not being an orphan. It's having relationship with the Father but it's having a relationship with a family that complement each other beautifully. There is a risk involved, but we must forgive. If you get involved in that kind of community, there's a risk of opening up, and you need to be wise. Henry Cloud has a book called Safe People. That's a good book. All right, You need to be wise. But if you choose to get into community instead of having what's called pseudo-community, which is fake community, sort of like when you go to Walmart... How can I help you? Welcome. Well, that's good, but, and that's appropriate for that role. But in the church, when we say, how are you doing, in, especially in the context of small groups, we should really mean it. How are you doing? 
There's a Puerto Rican lady uh, in our church down in, in Florida that says, How you doing? No, how you doing? And she'll just keep on asking that. And you'll say, for pity's sake, let me sit down and tell you. That's community. That's what it's supposed to be like. It means that we must forgive each other. There's no option. Did you know there's two verses in the Bible that Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you're going to come to the altar and you realize that somebody has something against you, what do you do? Leave your gift at the altar and go and fix it. Matthew 18, if someone is in sin, go and work it out with one person. Go and work it out with a few. Go and work it out with a bunch. Restore that person. Don't allow them to drift away from the community. There's no, there's no option to not forgive in the body of Christ. It, revolves, it involves risk. What does that look like? For us, it looks like having lots and lots of people in our home. Just doing life together. In our little house, you saw the picture of the couch there in front of our house. Uh, we had over a thousand people come through our house in seven years. Just 50 at a time here and there. Just doing life together. You know what that means? Broken window. Uh, broken vase. Broken candlestick holder. Uh, somehow this kid got a bow and arrow and shot it through my neighbor's screen. So then I have to go to my neighbor and say... Um, I'll fix it. I'll pay for it. And they were like, it's all good. One of the teenagers came in and flushed the toilet so hard they broke the handle. How do you break a toilet? Uh, strong teen. Boom. Sorry, Mr. Ammerman. You ladies, how, how did, see if you can relate to this. It meant basically Jennifer going into her room for privacy, maybe to change, and looking and having visitors there. <laughs> Excuse me. That's what it looks like. It means people dropping over in inopportune times crying and saying, hey, we're in crisis. Would you, would you please spend some time with us? And you know what that is? That's a high privilege, and it's almost never at a convenient time. And there are places for boundaries, but I want to tell you, that's what it's looked like for us. And it's been great. Henry Cloud, uh, the Christian psychologist, said this. He said, you know, I thought that knowing God meant being zapped. And so as he sat in his fraternity house, having, his, uh, having hurt his hand on a golf scholarship, what happened with him is, uh, is he said, I'm going to go to the chapel and I'm going to pray. Lord, I need you to show yourself to me. You know what happened? Seemingly nothing. He expected to be zapped. He goes back to his fraternity house. He sits down. The phone rings. Hey, Henry, I don't know why I'm calling you, but do you want to come to a Bible study? He goes, uh, okay. So he goes to the Bible study, has all sorts of questions. The only answer that they could give him is, uh, sometimes God uses people. I want to be zapped, he said. And so he continued to go to the Bible study, had more and more questions. He said, look, we can't answer your questions, but here's the seminary couple. Why don't you ask them? You know what that couple did? They invited him to live in their home. And he kept on saying, I just, I'm waiting for God to zap me and to change me. And he does do that sometimes, people. But Henry Cloud's vision was, that's God's plan A, is being zapped. God's plan B is, sometimes he uses people. You know what happened? After a year living with this seminary couple and, and seeing them do life and watching them do life, his life was profoundly changed. God's plan A is to use people. So the first thing is that we need to be adopted. We need not to be orphans. And that's a relationship with the Father. 
The second thing is we need to be in the family. And lastly, and wrapping it up, is there is always room for one more. Hebrews chapter 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without realizing it. There's always room for one more. There's a thing called human flourishing. And that's the idea that what brings satisfaction to us is, you know, kind of what we live for. And the idea of human flourishing with Augustine, he defined it as it's knowing God and knowing people and loving people. Loving God, loving people. That's what we should be all about. But it changed over the years, even amidst persecution, loving God, loving people. It changed to, you know, in the Industrial Revolution, now we're just going to start hospitals and schools. And that's a good thing, but it's not quite the same as loving God and loving people. You know what it changed in the 60s and the 80s? Whatever satisfies me is human flourishing. That's the culture around us. That's some of us here. As long as it, get, it makes me happy, it's okay. I want to tell you that there is not going to be any happiness or satisfaction without a relationship with the Father, without being in the family of God, and without inviting others in. So what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. It looks like when you see someone coming to Community Alliance, you say, welcome to Community Alliance. Why why don't we practice that? Turn to your neighbor and just say, welcome to Community Alliance Church. Now tell them, I'm so glad you're here. Now you have to be honest. It means making room for visitors. It means looking for the people that are new. It means getting involved in a life group. And there will be training opportunities for this. If you're interested, contact me. It means when we have a car cruise, coming out there and saying, I'm just going to give people a tour of the church. I'm going to say, hi, I'm glad you're on the property. It doesn't mean dumbing down our faith at work. It means turning our faith up. Let me be very careful in telling what that means. It doesn't mean you're out there hostile saying, the Bible says this and you're... They're not following Scripture. It means you're saying, hey, I noticed how kind you were to that person. You know, that's, that's really great. I used to think that would condone everything else they did. It doesn't. It just builds a common ground. And then when you have something you disagree with, you say, yeah, I don't agree with that. It gives you credibility. And they watch how you live. It means making people feel welcome into the body of Christ. Uh, Dream with me about what Community Alliance Church looks like if we would say, I just can't wait to get, I I think most of us do, I can't wait to get into the house where the Father is. I can't wait to be with that family. I can't wait to be in a place where they give me forgiveness and cut me slack. I can't wait to be in the place where we can continually invite people in. So as we close and transition to communion, uh, you can play something if you like. Isn't that nice? Some of you here, you just bow your heads. Some of you here may be people, I guarantee there's people here that are saying, I'm an orphan. I am separated from the Father. I wonder if you're here today and you have the boldness to say, yeah, that's me. I have either never come to know Jesus, come to know the Father, that relationship like that. Maybe that's you.
Is, is that anybody who has the boldness to raise your hand and say, that's me, pray for me? Just raise your hand if that's you. Okay. Maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I've drifted away. And I'm in the community, but I'm not living like I'm in the family. I'm living as an individual. Pray for me. Is that you? Raise your hand if that's you. I see hands going up all around. Praise God. And maybe you're someone who says, I want to be like Ken Precise, who sat next to Joe Ertis and said, let me show you around the building. I want to invite people in so they stay. Is that you? I hope lots of hands are going up now. Father God, for the first group of people that are saying, I'm separated from the Father. Lord, would you reach them? Would you reach down and just say, it's time to come home. Lord, as they turn from striving and selfishness and everything else, Lord, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit as they stop running from you and they start running towards you. They're coming home, Lord. It's a homecoming. Lord, for those that have raised their hands and have been honest enough to say, you know, I'm not really part of the family so much. I'm sort of an individual. Lord, I pray you'd connect them. You'd bless them richly. And for the many that have the heart of a missionary that say, I want to make this place full of people that are lost for orphans, would you fill them and bless them for your kingdom's sake? In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, 